0: Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower health care costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast. Today our guest is Gary Hattendorf from Navitus. Gary, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Very good. Very good. Here's the game plan. Uh, what we seek to do here on this show is, is really challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods um, to lower their health care costs and at the same time, improve value for their employees. So sound like something you'd like to help with? Would love to help.
1: You know, I'm <laughs> grateful for the opportunity to share knowledge and maybe some wisdom
0: I like that. I like that. I want, I want to hear you drop some wisdom for us. So uh, I'm going to start off just by reading a bio about you and, and Navitus, just so our audience has some context about who they're listening to, and then we'll jump into it. So Gary Hattendorf is the Western Regional Sales Vice President of Navitus Health Solutions. Gary is going on his 10th year at Navitus and resides in Phoenix, Arizona. His responsibilities include business development in the Western U.S., and he is focused on helping consultants and plan sponsors find the most efficient way at managing the pharmacy benefit.
1: Is that about uh, sum you up? That's it. Yeah, And all my years of experience, that's what it ends up being. So thanks, Michael. <laughs> that's a good overview.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, I'm sure there's more to you than uh, <laughs> than those few sentences. So uh, let's let's just start with um, a, you know how you got into the business because you've been you've been in uh, the insurance industry and and specifically working in the pharmacy, um, you know, sector of the business for, for a while. So how did you originally get into, into healthcare and and the pharmacy industry? Good question. You know, I started out,
1: uh, with a finance degree, undergraduate degree, and I went to work for an insurance company. It was called Trustmark insurance out of Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I was a group health insurance underwriter. And back then, it wasn't that long ago, but back then, um, Health insurance uh, was underwritten, and the pharmacy component was a small piece. A lot of employers had a choice of covering pharmacy under their major medical or comprehensive medical plan. And uh, so when I first got into it, the pharmacy costs were about 3% of total health care. Wow. And in the yeah, small amount, not a big deal. And there was mm-hmm. a, uh, a pharmacy benefit company, they call them prescription drug cards. It was called PCS. That was pretty much the only option. Mm -hmm. So do you cover under your deductible or do you use a PCS card, ID card, uh, with a co-payment for brands and generics? That was about as simple as it got. And Express Scripts, the largest pharmacy benefit company at the time, um, asked me to work for them. And it was one of their first times hiring a health insurance underwriter. They they had pharmacists and operations folks. And so I would say right time, right place. It was three percent of healthcare costs back then, and now it's you know pushing thirty percent of healthcare costs. And so I've been able to join um, the pharmacy benefit industry and the healthcare industry at addressing one of the most important and highest cost areas of healthcare, which is pharmacy. And ever since I've been with Navitus ten years, and just really enjoy helping uh, navigate pharmacy costs and pharmacy management.
0: And and that's where I sit today. Very good. Well, we're going to get into a lot of the, the details of that. But um, before we um, we get into the Navitus, um, you know, product and service, um, let's start just kind of at the macro level and, and work our way down. Um, you know, you've got prescription drug pricing, you know, through insurance is probably one of the most misunderstood components of the healthcare cost equation. Um, you've got you know drug pricing in general or drugs is a major profit center for insured carriers as well as PBMs. Um, You know, you can go on Google and and look this information up, but the PBM industry generates over $300 billion in revenue annually. You've got, you know, a cost uh, that's really not transparent to the employer or the consumer. You've got huge price variation on drugs at uh, different pharmacies. And then, you know, a lot of times, you know, if we're not on a high deductible health plan, we've got a copay structure that, you know, for the most part, Removes any incentive for a consumer to worry about the actual cost of drug. So, in your opinion, you know what do you think is wrong with with healthcare today, and, and then specifically with with the prescription drug component of healthcare?
1: Uh, that's a, that's a big question, Michael, and I appreciate you asking that. Um, and I hate this word comprehensive healthcare reform. Uh, it's it, it, there's a lot. I mean, it, it's complicated, but at a at a high level, it's healthcare delivery to patients at a a fair cost. And because the complexity of that, you know, healthcare delivery, where does it start? It starts with treating patients. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a real focus in the United States about really helping patients get healthy. And so there's a side of the business that Really isn't focused on cost. It's really helping patients get healthy, right? So, mm-hmm. um, new drugs, new therapies, new technologies, and and so that side of the healthcare business is doing their thing. Um, yeah, and then at the other side of it is who pays for it.
0: That's right.
1: And uh, and so the, the focus I spend my time on, and Novitas does, is a big part of what we focus on is how do you pay for it, how do you manage that, and uh, You know, so so ultimately it is complicated, and getting to the cost side starts with transparency. I know transparency is a buzzword, but where where are the costs, and let's get visibility into the cost. Is it the healthcare providers? Is it the drugs? Is it the, the manufacturers of the drugs? Is it the intermediaries? And ultimately the payer, and the payer ends up being plan sponsor. Mm -hmm. and the member, the consumer, uh, the end user. And so, if you look at the whole uh, spectrum of healthcare delivery and the healthcare costs, uh, really getting to transparency is a good starting point. And until you get
0: transparency, it's hard to address it. That's kind of a good transition into my next question. But before we go there, um, I think uh, we just had our friend Byron join. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, This is Byron Mikkel, uh, Navitas. Yeah, Byron, we are, we are already recording, and so um, I, what I'll do here, um, just for the benefit of, of our listeners, is uh, I'll go back and just briefly read your bio, uh, just so people have uh, an idea of, of who Byron is. So Byron is a Senior Vice President at Navitas Health Solutions. Uh, Byron's been in the industry since 1990 and with Navitus since 2007, and he has extensive experience both with traditional model PBMs and the Navitas pass-through model PBM. He's based in Austin and oversees sales, marketing, and corporate functions uh, at Navitus. And he's been with the organization for 10 years. So
2: welcome, Byron. Thank you so much. I apologize for my tardiness.
0: Uh, I, I misread it on my uh, calendar invite, so my apologies. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. So we're, we're going to keep going here. So, um, you know, Gary, you mentioned one of the big problems is, is transparency. So, um, you know, there are a few major pricing models with PBMs, uh, traditional transparent and pass-through. And so can you provide just a basic, you know, either you or Byron, um, a basic explanation of, of what the difference is between those three models to our listeners?
2: Sure. This is Byron. Um, I'll just give a brief explanation and certainly Gary, uh, feel free to, to add to it. Um, most of the industry, uh, still operates under a traditional, uh, model, which simply is a reference to, um, buying at one level selling it to clients at a different level and, and making the, the difference the whole industry operated that way until really right after the turn of the, of the century uh, in 2001 2002 is when doing it a different way really became um, an option and the idea about being more transparent in pharmacy really started to take roots at that point and so in the early stages of this century uh was when transparency became kind of more the buzzword which was really about disclosing some of the aspects of how the the pbm was being compensated and then what was being passed on to the uh, the client and as far as value others kind of took that more more from a perspective of saying well what if we um gave the full value of what we contracted with pharmacies and with manufacturers to the client and then charged an administrative fee. And that model is really referred to more as a pass-through, pass-through of those, the full value of those, and then being able to uh, receive the uh, compensation for those services uh, that are being provided in the form of an admin fee. So that's the basic, I guess, differences. Uh, Just think of it in terms of Traditional is you kind of pay an amount. You're not really sure what's being retained on the uh, in those relationships, you know, contractually transparent. More of that is disclosed uh, to the client. Mm -hmm. Not everything, but certainly more. And then pass through is, uh, as it
0: says, which is really just the full value coming back to the client, and then they they get compensated in the form of admin. Great, great. So you know, traditional, you know, the drug. You know they may negotiate the price of the drug for a hundred, and they may, you know, um, you know, sell it to the or pass through a higher cost of let's say one hundred and ten to uh, an employer, and they'll collect the ten dollars as you know their profit, and and so they're adding correct. a they're adding a a profit margin of some sort on every single drug that passes through, um, you know, their their distribution channel to an employer. Correct, and
2: that's that's correct, and that's part of the reason also why they can. Um, book that revenue. So when you see the the revenue of the larger PBMs, it's it's typically several billion dollars. B with a as in boy, and, and that's partly the reason why they can do that. They they're in essence purchasing the drug at a lower cost, reselling it to the client at a higher cost, and then um, obviously making the delta as their as their profit. Got it. So, navitas think- for example, we don't do that. We we since we pass all the full value on, we don't book the revenue of the drug spend as, you know, on our uh, balance sheet. So we just, we keep that off and all we book is our actual reven- uh, revenue
0: as far as admin fee. Perfect, perfect. I think that's a good explanation of what the differences are. Um, now, you mentioned that kind of transparency has been a buzzword, um, you know, since, you know, the early 2000s. Um, and, you know, one of the things that that we've discovered you know, in, in working with different PBMs, um, and our employer clients is that it's one thing to get transparency around, you know, discounts. Um, and then there's the contract language. And so how might, um, or what are some ways where, um, uh, you know, PBM contract language, uh, might water down, you know, what's supposed to be, you know, a transparent, Discount guarantee, um, or or how might tradi- how might contract language even not be beneficial to an employer?
1: And you know what I mean. Let me let's do this in two parts. Um, one about definitions in a contract as it relates to provisions, mm-hmm. and then the other as it relates to a calculation of one of the key financial components called rebates. Okay, okay. and why don't I, Byron? Why don't I share the the definition category first? And, and there's, a, there's a published baseline called MetaSpan. It's a reliable published baseline of brands and generics. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, a pricing that's published that's, that's recognized in the industry. Pretty simple. Well, in a client contract, this is the client, the payer's contract, we'll actually define what a brand is and what a generic is sure and it's pretty simple whatever medicine calls a brand is a brand and whatever medicine calls generic is a generic what the industry's m- morphed into is is PBMs will actually say if a generic is manufactured by less than 4 manufacturers they can call it a brand if it's manufactured by less than 3 manufacturers they can call it a brand if it's manufactured by 2 or less so those are there's a fine print that allows a PBM to call a generic a brand. And what happens in those scenarios is a generic is typically priced cheaper Mm -hmm. than a brand. Mm -hmm. And you can take the cheaper bucket, the cheaper basket of generics. You can take the cheaper basket of drugs, take some of those drugs out and put it in the brand basket. And what happens, it's really interesting how that happens. Ah, The brand basket just got cheaper. The brand basket just got cheaper because you took a cheap drug and put it in the brand basket. And, uh, and guess what happened to the, those generics that are not manufactured by many manufacturers, those are more expensive generics. They're still cheaper than brands, but they're more expensive. Mm-hmm. And guess what you did to the generic basket? You just made the generics cheaper. <laughs> so you made the generic basket cheaper and the brand basket cheaper just by moving these, these, these generic drugs that are not made by many manufacturers into a brand basket. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It sounds like an awesome um, sleight of hand magic trick.
1: <laughs>
0: it, it may be yeah, called free car money.
1: Yeah, and Byron, I know you have perspective on the rebate. There's a, a simple calculation that many folks don't think about when they they uh, they look at what the rebate might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
2: using the same um, you know uh, approach that Gary shared. The the definitions. Here's what happens in a process. Normally, when you go through an RFP process, obviously you're you're negotiating terms and uh, performance and you know other metrics as part of the RFP process, and so then a selection is made. Yeah. Well, the contract rarely gets completed until typically shortly before kind of a go live effective date. Well that kind of plays into the hand of this method that really Gary uh, is touching upon. And and what he gave was one of many illustrations of how that sleight of hand takes place. Because they know that once you get that far down the road, so to speak, it's very unlikely that you're gonna pull the plug and and do something different. And so it's much easier to get some of this language in the contract. As it relates to rebates, one one of the simple things that happens is, as you look around the industry today, you see some, frankly, some extraordinary v- uh, values being offered in the form of uh, rebates per brand, whether it's by channel of re- uh, retail, mail, or specialty. And there, frankly, uh, two concerns that we have with kind of that the this approach, and one of them is. Going back to, the again, the definition uh, aspect of the contract, as long as a PBM can get certain um, definition terms in the contract, then it becomes them who determines which claims go into which bucket or basket, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is if I can kick out, for example, claims from being included in a calculation from a denominator standpoint, then what I can do is inflate the value of that number uh, by channel. So let me illustrate that. So let's say for mail service claims, if I, by definition in my contract, say that a rebate in mail is not a rebate, uh, you know, it, it isn't counted as a rebate eligible claim unless it has at least uh, an 84-day supply or greater, well, what happens to those claims that are under that? Well, what happens is they the dollars get added to the mail rebate number, but not the claim. Mm-hmm. So when you inflate when you inflate the dollars, but you're using a smaller denominator to divide it by, well, what happens? The the dollar amount per brand goes up. But again, legally, it's it, they're able to execute on that model because in the contract, that's what the definition term says that they can determine. Uh, is a rebate eligible claim whether it's by again retail, mail or specialty. So that's a that's a simple illustration of kind of what happens in this. And normally through an RFP process, that's that that's not uncovered. Meaning it's the the request is usually tell me what you're going to guarantee my client for a, um, a rebate per brand by channel, retail, mail, specialty. That's right, and as a result of that, that's the metric that they're comparing company A to B to C to D, and they don't and, factor in. Well, what's the denominator that you're using to come up with that guaranteed amount? And that's that's a simple, uh, I guess, way to kind of get at the heart of what I just described is to say, okay, well, I see your number as far as what you're guaranteeing from a dollar perspective, but how many claims
0: is that based on? Meaning, right. branded claims, right? And so, I think that. <clears throat> I think that probably um, references one of the things which I'd planned on bringing up later is how um, it can make one company potentially look better on a spreadsheet than another when you're trying to do a comparison. Yeah, without question.
2: And that's for us, since we don't do it that way, uh, to Gary's point, we use Metispan as our uh, third-party industry you know, reference. Here's what happens with, with that whole thing. You say, well, yeah, but MediSpan, maybe they're not as accurate on this or that. And that there you can certainly identify individual cases where that's, that's so. But here's the problem. The moment you allow a PBM to come up with their own proprietary methodology to determine what's a brand and what's a generic or what's eligible for rebate and what's not, it's, to use the old expression, it's game over. Because then... They're never going to disclose the va- you know that that methodology or because it's proprietary, and they're not going to want you to be able to understand what goes into that. So really, now you're beholding to their terms. Whereas if you use a third-party source like Medispan,
0: mm-hmm. then
2: you avoid all of that, and you're not having to play by, in essence, someone else's set of rules. In this case, being the PBM
0: who's administering these benefits. I have another you know g- general. Um, topic I want to cover, um, you know, before we get into the the, the Navitus uh, model. Um, as a broker consultant, you know, I routinely hear from from PBMs and insurance carriers that, you know, their formularies are managed by, um, you know, p committees and, you know, set up in a way that is in the best interest of their customers, which, you know, we would assume means that the drugs the PBM um, is placing on the preferred status of the formulary means those are the drugs that they're actually getting the best pricing deal on. And yet we hear more and more about rebate chasing, which, which contradicts this notion. So can you explain what rebate chasing is and, and how it might um, adversely affect an employer?
2: Sure. Um, Gary, you want to take a first crack and then I'll add?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's about 55 five, five common therapy classes And a therapy class might be anti-infectives, it might Mm -hmm. be cholesterol reducers, and so on and so forth. Within those therapy classes, especially in the retail environment, so these are orals, there's many generics. Upwards to close to 90% of those are available generically. Sure. So one would say with a low net cost approach, truly best healthcare outcomes, but really trying to, to add the drugs on the preferred list that are the best value, okay? Um, most of those should be generic drugs. Some of those therapy cl- classes have one or two brands, okay? And, and what a PBM that's acting in the best interest of the client would be to, to really use that platform. And those, those select brands that are available optimize the rebate with the pharmaceutical manufacturers. What, what some of the industry does is they, they add a few more brands, So let's take a therapy class that has one brand and five generics. Mm -hmm. Some of the industry will actually add two or three more brands. And why would they do that? Well, they would go to those additional pharmaceutical manufacturers and say, hey, I'm adding your brands to this therapy class. Can you give us more rebate if we do that? Now, these might be more expensive. We price drugs, but that rebate is so attractive. and, And it's a little bit of a, like you said earlier, today, a sleight of hand, you get a bigger rebate in that therapy class, but the sleight of hand is you just added some more expensive drugs to that therapy class that members will take. And so, so that's, that's the nuance and the dynamic, if you will, of the industry. And every single pharmacy benefit manager will say the words low net cost, but you really have to get into the detail of each therapy class and get it a per unit cost Within therapy class, so it is complicated, and as you can tell, Michael, it can be worked. When there's ten thousand prescription drugs in the marketplace, it can be worked sure. um, to advantages, or you know, it, it can it can get bent a little bit. And we we do our best at Navitas to dispense generics, not chase rebates. Add the brands that make sense. The brands that do make sense. Let's get the best rebate we can. Byron, did I say that okay?
0: Yeah, well, no, well, I did a great job with it. I'm I'm going to ask you just for an example, and and Gary, um, this may have been a while ago. We had some correspondence, and it, and I think you gave me an example about a drug called Yasprala. Would that be an appropriate example to kind of illustrate this? It, it is. It is a good example.
1: Um, so thanks for bringing that up. Um, so there is a drug called Yasprala and Byron and I are not pharmacists, so um, I might not even be saying it properly. But the drug Yosprala is is a newer drug, and it's an oral medication, and many PBMs and health plans have added Yosprala to the formulary, Mm -hmm. okay? And there is a generic drug equivalent called Prilosec, not generic. It's actually called Omeprazole. And Omeprazole taken with aspirin does the same thing that Yosprala does, essentially now I have to be careful because the FDA did approve Yasbrola, and don't want to minim- minimize the effectiveness of Yasbrola. Sure. But a comparable therapy is aspirin and a generic for Prilosec. Prilosec. The cost of that drug is for a 30-day supply is about twenty dollars. Okay. Yeah. The cost of Yasbrola is about four hundred and seventy-five dollars. Actually, about one hundred and sixty-two dollars. I'm sorry, one hundred and sixty-two dollars. Um. And so would you want a $162 drug or a $20 drug? The $20 drug is much more cost-effective. Now, there's a rebate to that $162 drug, and it is $97. Wow. So on the $162 drug, there's a $97 rebate. Okay. So $162 minus $97 is $65. The net cost of the Esprala is $65. The net cost of that generic drug is $20. So the question is, would you want to spend $20? Or sixty-five dollars net, twenty or 65, 20. Now the other question is, would you want a ninety-seven dollar rebate or a zero rebate? That's the loaded question. And I so guess would
0: you? And I guess ahead. it, I guess it just depends on what you're looking at specifically, and uh, and I guess it's, that's why it's you know doing doing the PBM comparisons can be tricky. No, you're absolutely right. It's it very much is a.
2: Um, and I, I've been around this industry long enough to know that it's unfortunately what Gary just described to you, those are things that go on to intentionally make this more complicated because it's what gets emphasized by the by the market um as to what they want you to, to value. And what they what's really being generally reported and focused on and concentrated on today is the rebates and the higher the rebate, the better, and that's going to lower our client's overall spend. Well, that's true, but lower it from where? In other words, if you're having to purchase higher cost medications just to earn those rebates, but yet it drives up your, your overall net spend, then why, why is that a, a better deal? We would make the case, for example, that it's not. Well, let me give you some uh, kind of a macro perspective of what this whole rebate chasing um, Exercise how that got going in earnest. Mm-hmm. Remates have been around for quite some time. The middle 90s was when rebates kind of showed up as really more of an access uh, um, discount or, or dollars that were being offered by manufacturers to be included on these formularies that were kind of somewhat of a new thing on a commercial basis. They've always been available and are used in hospitals and things like that, but on a more commercial basis in the mid 90s, really started to become more prevalent. So in the last about four, maybe not five, but four years ago, uh, one of the larger PBMs uh, really took a kind of up the ante, so to speak, to really juice the the rebate values. And what they did, to go back to an, an illustration, if you have a therapy class that, say, has, um, and I'll use more than what Gary used, but say six branded products that are available in, in a given therapy class. Mm-hmm. What happened was the process was uh, put out there to say, okay, six manufacturers, we're, starting the first of the year, we're gonna promote this formulary that's only gonna have three of you. So basically, three that offer us the best financial arrangement, you're all relatively, clinically speaking, equivalent as far as accomplishing what needs to be done. So we're gonna uh, only take three of you. So put your best deal forward, basically. Sure. So what that required those manufacturers to do is to look at obviously their product, the cost of their product, the margins they had built in, the rebates that they were offering, you know, for access to, uh, on the formulary and so forth, and then come up with a solution to try to position themselves as one of the big um, uh, three that are going to be offered in that therapy class. What ended up happening was in many cases, if not most cases they had to offer an amount significantly higher than what they had previously done on the rebates, and in order to pay for that, they had to do the only logical thing, which was to increase the price of their product. Now, they wouldn't do it all at once, but they would do it over a series of price increases over a period of time to recoup the value of that additional rebate that they're offering to do so. So I'll illustrate, if the product used to cost $100 to the market, even with all those margins and, and rebate values baked in, but now they, they, ju- they juice their rebates and now they're one of those three. Well, they had to offer a rebate that really drove the price to go from 100 to 125, or 150 even, and some sure. usually more. Like, so the point I'm, I'm illustrating here is this idea of going with more rebate chaser type products is really a a method to really drive higher rebates, yes, but corresponding higher cost of the product that clients ultimately have to pay for those products in order to earn that rebate. And as Gary shared with you, the, the difference really doesn't equate, meaning it doesn't drive a lower cost of clients, even though their rebate values, if that's all you're really measuring one company to another against, uh, the ones you think that have the biggest rebates, which are typically the biggest PBMs in the industry, you think that's because of their size and clout. When in reality, it's because of how their methods of how they go about doing this is what's driving up those rebates and ultimately the cost. And I want to make one final point on this: if you compare the after rebate uh, value of the published, the the two biggest uh, PBMs in the industry publish their post Rebate, um, or sorry, their um, their net PMPM cost uh, of using their formularies after rebates, mm-hmm. and both of them are over ninety dollars per member per month on that. Okay. By comparison, Navitus's approach to formulary and on obviously the rebates that we generate, our post rebate number is under seventy four dollars. So that's the illustration of why chasing those rebated products that that drive up a, a big rebate value is really ultimately not in a client's best interest because you're going to spend more to earn those dollars. So it's kind of a little bit like chasing your tail. You think you're getting a better deal. And the reality is you realize you know, it's
0: just your tail. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I guess that's probably a way to describe a number of things we've talked about so far. Would be misaligned incentives, I mean all of these things from you know the the not disclosing the the spread pricing to the contract language to you know uh, manipulating the formulary to maximize the rebates um, you know all those things aren't necessarily in the in the best interest of an employer would you agree uh, totally <laughs> uh, okay. and that's that's why i mean it's
2: um we, what well, our message to the marketplace is, look, there's a viable alternative to the way most of the industry operates. And so we're really just trying to provide some education and understanding about some of this stuff to folks, and we appreciate you giving us this forum to do this, but it's, it's more about just trying to provide some education to say, you know, there's alternatives to the way, uh, to what's being offered in the mar- marketplace. And if you evaluate it on terms that actually look at the things that matter and don't focus so much on the things that don't matter. The rebate illustration that we just went through is one of those. If you just focus on the rebate per brand by channel, well, that's, you know, certainly a part of it, but it's not the whole story. So if yep. you look at it in context for, well, what's the total, you know, net cost of, that my clients will experience and I'll measure that in a per month, per month basis or how many claims are actually you factoring into if you look at in in metrics that matter, that's when you start to separate what's real and what's frankly more, uh, you know, uh, a mirage. I guess would be able to use an illustration.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. I like that illustration. I like that analogy. So, so you guys, Navitus, um, you're a pharmacy benefit manager. You're you're one of of many in the marketplace, and you know, I think both of you guys have kind of touched on on a couple of these things so far, but um, you know, just um explain to our audience how you guys are different and um even though i think we've separately covered this you know what what problem your model is attempting to solve in the marketplace
1: um yeah you know, i'll i'll share with you guys uh actually a consultant that with us last week that said we found it simple and i think we, we, it's a very complex industry and uh if you can simplify it drug companies pharmacies pharmacy benefit manager is hired by a payer to be aligned with them and be a business partner, be a service partner. It shouldn't be much more complicated than that. And if you do simplify the financial and the alignment and you get a service fee, what Navitas does is uh, deliver service. It's very clear. We're regarded as, as the highest level of service or one of the highest levels of service in the industry. And secondly, the clarity Around what we talked about the first couple of minutes, Michael, and that's just the delivery of healthcare, the delivery of mm-hmm. pharmacy. It, it's clear. And ultimately, it saves clients money. And so, what we tell our, our plan sponsor clients is, is you will save money. We believe that. And that's validated by other clients. And you will see improved service. And that's, that's our goal. Um, we leave that to our clients to decide. But I think that alone differentiates Navitus, and it lets it stand on its own two legs. And I'm sure there's other uh, players in the marketplace that have great value propositions. But uh, for for the market that's looking for what I described, uh, we think it separates us. I don't know if I put that as well as the question.
0: Well, you 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 mentioned yeah, like, one thing. You mentioned one thing, and you mentioned the word alignment which I think is really important. So do you want to just, one of you, expand on what that means?
1: Sure. I, I can touch um, it real quick. Go ahead, Bar. Um well, well, let
2: me I'll just... just uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, Gary. Uh, let let oh, me just okay. share this, this perspective on the alignment uh, side of it. Um, alignment comes out of a very important decision that's made in this process that I think most clients do not even factor. And that's this idea of, well, who am I going to partner with? Meaning, what type of business model am I aligning my decision around? Because that will determine, frankly, everything else that flows from that decision. If you choose a pass-through solution, meaning you're committed to going down and having a relationship with a PBM that offers a pass-through solution, there are so many Uh, benefits that flow from that decision. If you are unawares, for example, of what that choice of a business model uh, really will mean to them as a payer, then what ends up happening, many times we we have clients that go through a process, they they like what they hear about the the pass-through solution, and then they think they can go to their current traditional PDM and get them to conform to this kind of new way of seeing the world. Hmm. And the reality is They don't and won't, (laughs) meaning that's not who they are. That's not what they want to do. And clients are only somewhat um, confusing the the issue when they're trying to to use the expression, jam a square peg in a round hole. They want traditional PBMs to behave like a pass-through PBM, and it it doesn't work, simply put. Um, And so that first decision of what kind of a business model do they want to align with will will determine so many things that flow from it.
0: Got it. And and so just just so, you know, I understand what you guys are talking about, but I want to make sure that you know folks that are listening to this, you know, do. From when you say alignment, we're just talking about aligned incentives, right? You're you're collecting an admin fee and you know, your whole purpose is to, you know, create value, you know, for your customers you know, to try to, you know, get the lowest cost um, and lowest drug inflation possible, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. But, you know, conversely, if we talk about a traditional PBM, those those incentives aren't necessarily aligned, you know? You may be talking about lower costs, but ultimately, um, you know, especially if you're talking about the big three, the name of the game is, is maximizing revenue for the next quarterly Wall Street earnings call. Mm-hmm. So, wouldn't you say there's a difference in in incentives in the two models? There is, there is. And Michael, you've really simplified it, right? So, Navitus
1: as a PBM with a full disclosure, full pass-through model, our only revenue is the administrative fee, and that's it. And our owner is a nonprofit. Uh, we we are rewarded by keeping clients and growing. Um, much of the industry to your point. It's earnings per script. And so when you hear about big topics like specialty pharmacy and specialty pharmacy pipeline, um, the Wall Street investors get excited about it. Oh, they're fired up. <laughs> they're fired up. They're fired up. Now, guess who? Guess who's not fired up? The clients that pay for it.
0: The That's right.
1: Payers. They're That's not right. fired up. They go, whoa. So it becomes a misalignment. The investor community and in healthcare is excited about specialty pharmacy and costs going up because many of the much of the industry can get a margin and get a get a piece of that uh, cost increase and that revenue on the horizon. Whereas with a cost plus model and a pass-through model, uh, it's an opportunity for clients and plant sponsors to manage and know where the money's going. And if they know that their service provider is only collecting a service fee, and uh, not biased around, uh, or, or call it taking advantage of costs going up. Mm-hmm. It gives our clients a peace of mind, and I think that's why we, we renew many clients or most of our clients. They stay with us for year after year. It becomes a partnership because they're not always looking over their back or in their back pocket with their PBM partner. They know that everything's passed through. Their, their PBM's a business partner, uh, they know our only revenue incentive is the admin fee, uh, whereas there, much of the industry, it's not quite that simple. And uh, what's a boondoggle for Wall Street is a cost increase for clients. And what, a, what a, it's again, it shouldn't be that complicated. But because of the incentives um, pressured in the industry, um, you really have to navigate it. And and we make it simple. So. Yeah.
0: Well, sim, sim, you know, if I could add maybe one
2: thing to what what Gary said about the cost increases, and this is just as
1: for illustration
2: purposes, the reason about then it relates to the alignment uh, you're talking about. When you when you operate on a spread basis or traditional basis, um, when you have cost increases year over year in the cost of medications, a spread model that means they're making up spread. If you look at it in just years one, two, and three of a typical PBM contract, um, the they might go somewhat lean in the first year to secure the business and to provide what uh, on paper looks like a very good deal. But they know that as drug prices increase, their spread increases with it. So as those price increases are pushed on to clients to pay, that just means since they've been locked in at a given rate in the contract, that means second year, their spread margin is bigger. Third year, it's even bigger than it was in the second year and the first year. So they're more than willing to have that kind of arrangement because it, it frankly aligns very well for their financial objectives that they have with Wall Street. But back to the point of tying it back to, to payers, that's not in their best interest. And that's why when you operate in a, in a, in a pass-through model, even though there are price increases, the client is not paying, yes, they have to pay the, the cost of that, but they're not paying additional spread on that sure. deal just because of the, of the business model. And so that's a simple illustration from a financial standpoint. And obviously there's the operational uh, alignment as well, you know, where you don't have a PBM that's trying to get you to make decisions that are not in your best interest, but in theirs. Cause like Gary said, when you, when you get compensated an admin fee, it's okay. You're rewarding us for for being your partner. Now, how can we help? And then, oh, oh, by the way, we see opportunities from your claims where, if you did this and that, that could mitigate or alleviate some of the the issues that you're having with these things. That then you start to see much more of an alignment. Whereas when you have that perverse arrangement, where I'm trying to, if I'm the PBM that operates on a spread, I'm trying to keep as much of that margin for myself and not pass it on to the client. So it it affects what they show clients as far as opportunities to
0: better manage their program. For sure. Um, I want to transition to what, what is probably a, a simple problem, um, but it, it really goes down to the lack of, of consumer interaction you know, with price. And, and I think that's a problem in healthcare in general. Um, but you know, in any given drug class, you know, there are likely many therapeutic equivalent drugs that, that vary widely in price. And as an employer, as a payer, you can't necessarily control what a physician prescribes. So what are some strategies that you employ to help employers steer their employees to the most cost-efficient drug when the employee may have a fixed copay and really has no visibility into the actual cost of the drug? Well,
1: we'll talk about a couple. That's a good question. There's a couple different scenarios. One is around the prescription that was written. And perhaps initially dispensed, and then there's another scenario around the actual member, the patient and consumer. And so what what we do is when there is a most many physicians just prescribe the brand because it's common. And uh, you know, I'll just use one example: Jublia for toe fungus. I'll use another example: Nexium for um, ulcer issues. So they they know the brand. They're familiar with the brand. They don't even know how to spell the generic often. And so at that point of claim, so when the the member goes to the pharmacy, there's messaging to the pharmacist and there's also messaging to the doctor of the lower cost alternative. Mm -hmm. So we, we deploy that type of, we call it drug utilization review process. So we deploy that process and do a lot of interaction with the pharmacies and with the doctors that prescribe the medicine. That's more of a, we call it retrospective you know looking back sure. the other scenario is consumer engagement and we're being asked by many clients of ours how do we get our consumers to understand the cost and make better decisions and so we've deployed some web technology that lets members put in the drug that was prescribed and determine what it's going to cost them and also what it's going to cost the plan and take it a step further find the the least expensive pharmacy so Um, It's being demanded in the marketplace and we've responded with consumer engagement, web technology and messaging to let the the member get more involved in understanding how to find the the cheapest drug, you know, to treat their condition. And um, so that, that gives you a a couple of examples.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the, you know, if you were to ask most people um, and you know, do, does the price of drugs vary at different pharmacies? I think most people would probably say oh no it's it's the same um, i I don't think there's a there's a wide um, you know knowledge base that you know the the price variation in different different pharmacies can be you know quite large. Um, so are you guys using your own tool or are you partnering with a third party to to help with the um, the employee engagement and and steerage to lower cost pharmacies?
2: Yeah, we actually have uh, both. Um, we have our own uh, tool uh, that is really driven off of our our own website in which we, uh, we we've chosen to use uh, responsive design with our our web page that allows a member to interact with it on whatever device they have, whether it's a smartphone, a tablet or you mm-hmm. know, a pc uh, type thing. And we've also gone down a path of of working with GoodRx uh, uh, Good RX. And so they have uh, more of an app-based solution that uh, does this arrangement. And so, depending on you know the circumstance, you know, we can offer you know either one of those solutions. And really, to your point about the, the pharmacies, you're absolutely right. Uh, the biggest players in this industry, from a from a pharmacy standpoint, don't want people to know and understand that. They're what we would refer to as a premium provider, meaning the reimbursements that they require of PBMs is, um, ironically, um, richer or, or more beneficial to them than it is to uh, than it is with smaller providers. Most people would think it would be the the opposite. The, you know, the the opposite. bigger they are, they can yeah, they could be. Hey, we're the biggest, so we can go lower in price than you can go. You know, that kind of a thing. And, yep. and the reality is exactly the opposite. And most people do not understand that. To your point, and so I think that's all going to change. Uh, it's already starting to change. And as these member engagement tools and and that visibility starts to become known to both payers and to to beneficiaries, members, uh, that they'll realize, well, look, I could could get the same drug at, you know, really almost any pharmacy, so why go to one that's going to cost my employer or my insurance company, you know, uh, more money? Uh, I'm going to choose to go to one that actually is uh, a lower cost. And I think more and more consumers are going to go down that path, particularly those that may find themselves in a, for example, say a high deductible health plan yep where those those initial dollars are on them, and they're going to say, "Well look, I'd, I'd much rather spend less uh, than more, and so wh- where can I do that?" And that, that this is all uh, we're kind of going through uh, an evolution in how this all gets administered, but that's certainly one aspect that I think is going to change the landscape of, of what uh, pharmacies, particularly the bigger chains,
0: um, require in reimbursement from PBMs or payers. Well, I, I think specifically once they start losing volume, then, then maybe yep. they'll, they'll start to pay attention. And that's, that's Correct. really, you know, I, I guess there's, you know, the transparency issue with prescription drugs is at, at two ends of, of the, um, spectrum, right? On the, um, you know, what your, what the actual discounts are, which are actually paying for the drugs and then, you know, the price variation at the pharmacy. So it's, it's good to hear that you guys are, are focusing on that can you talk just a, a, a little bit and i know we're we're actually it's hard to believe we're we're coming close to the end of our hour here but just real quickly um, is there a difference in how Navitus manages its formulary versus maybe how uh, a traditional pbm might manage its formulary
2: yeah totally um in a word <laughs> the to gary's point that he brought up earlier about you know um our approach, taking more of a low net cost approach, which, as he you said, you know, virtually any PBM will tell you that today. The reality is, if you look at by therapeutic class, the products that they put on their formulary or formularies that they promote, many times they're they're products that are not they're they're not cl- a clinical differentiated product, meaning they're kind of a me too product. Hey, we we do that as well. You know, we we can treat that product just as well. And they become more of a financial discussion. And so, if you go back to the, uh, the the origin of Navitus as a company, we came out of a managed care company, and meaning we were the pharmacy department inside of an HMO. And what that really means is we take a more uh, proactive uh, approach to managing pharmacy as a benefit. And that proactive approach is what's clinically appropriate from a product selection and then what drives the lowest net cost, meaning we're not interested in, just like a managed care company is not interested in, well, I got a bunch of rebates. Well, okay, but what do we have to spend to get those rebates, right? The, the CFO is not interested in that conversation at a, at a managed care company. What they want to know is, what's my per member per month spend for pharmacy? And the biggest component that determines that is the formulary and the related uh, you know, utilization management criteria that goes with it, like prior authorization and so forth. And when you take a more managed approach, a responsible approach, and I'm not suggesting that the other approaches are not responsible. It's just a different incentive or different uh, purpose of why sure. they put their formularies together the way they do. Uh, ours is just more and going back to the numbers I quoted you earlier. If you look at our formulary that we have most of our commercial clients on, having an average uh, PMPM cost of less than $74. And by comparison, the, the two biggest players in our industry, by their own published uh, information, is north of $90. Well, that, that's what the true effect of how it can be measured of what our approach to formulary and product selection is compared to the two biggest players as it relates to their product selection. So it really does matter, but the, the the unfortunate part is most clients and their and their consultants are not looking at that end game. They're looking at the front end metrics of rebate values and discounts, right. you know, from you know, from uh, pharmacies and so forth, without really factoring in the 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 downstream net result of of
0: those product selections or or uh, you know definitions and so forth that we talked about earlier. I'm glad you you mentioned that 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 the you know consultants in the industry and employers are looking at it maybe maybe in the wrong way and and I think that's um there's there's a big problem there's a challenge with how you know brokers and consultants in the marketplace are are looking at this and um and I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I'd been guilt I'd be I've been guilty of kind of the same approach and, and, and what it is, what I'm referring to is kind of a flawed comparison model. Um, -hmm. when when we do a PBM marketing and, um, you know, where, you know, we are just looking at, uh, discount guarantees, rebate guarantees by channel. And we're looking at contract language and, you know, getting Mm -hmm. into the weeds and asking, you know, each vendor to accept certain language. Um, and what doesn't get included in that analysis is the formulary and it's, it's potential impact on, you know, net cost. Uh, and so if I were to just look at what the industry is doing, and again, I'm including myself in that industry as is participating in maybe a flawed process. Um, how do you fix that? How do, I mean, I mean, this is a complicated comparison you know, an analysis to do, how do you fix it where you are doing a better analysis for the employer where you're taking into account, um, the formulary strategy, because you can't really do, you you can't really compare it on a spreadsheet. Well, uh, if I could uh, go ahead, Gary, how do
1: you fix it? Here's what you do. You look for the actual build claims. What is the client going to pay? And that really depends on the drug mix, so the drugs that are on the formulary and the drugs that are actually used, mm-hmm. or the dr- drugs that are proposed to be used. It, it's that simple, but you have to look at the actual billed claim detail, and there's something called an NDC-11. It's actually the, 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 the specified drug for that claim. To do that, you have to be able to audit pharma contracts and pharmacy contracts, but but even before you get to the audit process, is ask the PBM what's your all-in cost expectation. All-in is all your rebates, all your admin fee, and what's your billed claim expected cost. And then ask, is it auditable? And so what you'll see is, is numbers, and I'll just throw some samples out. Maybe Navitas will show a $50 per member per month all-in cost, $50. Mm-hmm you might have another company that says it's going to be $75 all in per member per month cost. Another might say $60 all in. And so what you end up doing is I'm going to evaluate the $50 versus the 60 versus the 75. Well, which one's better? The 50, right? It's cheaper. Um, But if you can get to that level of comparative, that's reliable and they're auditable,
0: then you have the secret formula for evaluating PBMs. I, I love it. We're, 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 doing, we're doing a podcast. You just gave away the secret formula.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if, if I could add maybe just one thing to what Gary shared with you, and that is um, going back to the illustration we gave earlier about if you have a therapeutic class, you know, you're talking about the formulary and, and how do you evaluate, you know, most, most consultants are not looking at the, the product mix that's on these formularies and how it corresponds to what a client will pay. Mm-hmm. If you have a if you have a therapeutic class that has, you know, five products, three of them are branded products and two of them are generics and you look at the average wholesale price which is kind of an industry benchmark of a starting point if you will before you apply any discounts to it. Yeah, yeah. If you look at the AWP of those five products in that therapeutic class with three brands and two generics, you're, you're going to come up with a given Average wholesale price of those products mm-hmm. now you compare that to say ours, where we might have uh, one brand or two brands, lower cost brands, but three or four generics well, I think it it goes without saying that you you would know that the average wholesale price benchmark of the first example is going to be higher than the second example which is really, really relevant and important because if you did that across, say, the top 10 therapeutic classes for a client, you're going to come up with a very different starting point before you even apply guaranteed discounts.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the,
2: the, the problem that typically happens in our industry is consultants, and this is no disrespect because it is difficult and complicated business, but they'll typically use the same starting point across the board of the five or six PBMs that they're reviewing, and then apply the discounts, then apply the rebates, and so forth. So what they've, in effect, done is basically say there's no difference in formulary approach to any of these PBMs. They're all going to take the same approach, which is, in and of itself, of course, not accurate. And so by taking that simple approach, you start to now come up with a different starting point uh, to, to then apply the discounts and then apply the rebates. So what it ends up doing is, frankly, accounting for those that put more expensive products on their formulary mm-hmm. for the really primary purpose to drive you know, rebate values. But this kind of takes that into consideration. It's like, fine, you want to use those products, go ahead. But I'm going to account for it in my evaluation because those products are going to cost my client more money. And so, therefore, and before I apply your discounts and your rebates, I'm going to take the products that you've stated are on your formulary and I'm going to give it an average wholesale price starting point before I apply that. And that's going to be reflective of your products on your formulary. And you have to do that for each of the PBMs in order to get an accurate end result uh, to actually say, well, what is my client going to spend with this PBM or that PBM or that student?
0: Got it. And this, so, that makes a hundred percent sense to me. And I think that's um, a nice way to do um, to actually maybe uh, see clear through a little bit of the sleight of hand stuff, you know, that, that gets, uh, that gets put out there. So thank you guys for, for that input. I think that was good. And, and I, and hopefully our our listeners appreciate that insight as well. So I've kept you guys on here. Um, Normally we shoot for an hour. We're about an at an hour and, and 10 right now. I'm going to ask you, you know, just probably one more question. And, uh, you know, that would be, um, gosh, you know, if, if there was one question that I should have asked, but I didn't, what would it have been? I personally think you've done a great job, Michael. And I'm not just saying that all
1: I am, I am saying it. So no, I think you asked all the good questions and, um, you know, we just appreciate the opportunity to talk about the industry because you're asking questions that aren't talked about at the, uh, the industry cocktail hour. These are questions that need to be asked. And so we're happy to, uh,
0: to at least, you know, dialogue with you. Uh, I love thank it. Thank you. Right. You're welcome. You're welcome. And so guys, how can people who've listened to this and, and are interested in, in learning more about Navitus and, uh, and your service, how can they get in touch with you?
2: Well, there's a couple of ways. The simplest way, if they want to shoot an email, they can go to sales at Navitus.com. But if they wanted to call, our, our, we also give them our main number uh, and then it can be redirected to uh, the sales department and we can have someone uh, reach out. And that is 608 729 1500 is probably the, um, um, if it were, they want to actually speak with someone, then they can, uh, our operator can redirect uh, to one of our sales uh, folks to actually have a conversation with them.
0: And, and I think, you know, also you know, most people like to work through their broker consultant. So you know, anyone listening, you know, can obviously you know get in touch with with you guys through their broker consultant. Correct?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and we we enjoy Alliant Insurance Services, specifically out of downtown Los Angeles, but many of the <laughs> Alliance offices throughout the country. I gave you a plug there, Michael, but seriously, Alliance has been a a good partner. They understand our model and uh, now it has clients in force with some of the Alliance
0: offices. So they know how to reach us. Absolutely. Well guys, on, on behalf of our listeners and myself, uh, I want to thank you for, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. I think it's been a great conversation. Definitely. uh, We got down into the weeds a little bit, but I think uh, for this particular topic, you kind of need to. And so, um, I was really, I'm really pleased with, uh, with the discussion that we had to our listeners. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of of reconstructing healthcare. And with that, uh, we will sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the reconstructing healthcare podcast. If you liked what you heard here, please do subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google play stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. So you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Navitus' website and contact information. If you know someone who could benefit from the information we discuss on the show, you can share the content via our Facebook page or by sending a link to our website, www.reconstructinghealthcare.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast.